Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown in Birmingham, who's blacker than coffee right now because of the sweltering British summer. Today we are joined by that most gentle of journalists, that sensitive soul in Norwich, Mick Wright, and we call onto the field of battle our super sub, Pundit Doug Levy in San Francisco. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Bloody hell, Nick. Um, in a week that has seen England lose yet another semi-final, we ask, why is Donald Trump over here upsetting all of us good Brits? Donald Trump stew in the UK today for the first time as US president. Meantime, the US embassy in Britain is currently worried about the safety of Americans during the visit. In fact, it's issued an alert warning people to be cautious as large anti-Trump protests are expected to be held in London. The day has come. Donald Trump's first official visit to the UK starts this Thursday. He'll be whining and dining with Theresa May and her ministers visiting Scotland and meeting the Queen. One place he'll be avoiding for the next couple of days, though, is central London, as thousands are expected onto the streets to protest his visit. The number of police being mobilized is in the thousands too, reportedly the largest number since the 2011 riots. And activists have crowdfunded cash for a gigantic baby balloon in Trump's likeness to amplify the message that the US president is not welcome here. I don't want him here. <laughs> He's not welcome. I don't have any time or respect for him. Donald Trump has arrived in the UK for a four-day visit, which will feature talks with our embattled PM Theresa May, crumpets with the Queen, and a giant Trump baby blimp flown over Westminster. How will we judge if the many protests to mark his visit have had an impact? Mick, over to you. Well, uh, as usual, I'm going to sort of reject the premise of the question, uh, which I know you love. Um, 
My look, that I, there was a lot of this on 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 um, television today. You know, with uh, with Piers Morgan howling on that there weren't protests like this when Obama came, um, and oh, you know, you have a reason for that. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I mean, you could argue we should protest. We should have protested Obama's, you know, foreign policy and the drone strike policy and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, there's so many people saying, "What's the point of this? It won't may have any effect." But that's not really what I think. That's like people failing to make a distinction between a protest and a strike, or you know, other action. Which, where, you, where you have a lot of people together. Like in a strike, you're trying to achieve a specific action. You want to put pressure on an employer or a government to, to change something. With a protest, the protest itself is, you know, it's an act. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a form of speech. So the notion that anyone is protesting because they think it'll stop, like make some kind of change in the immediate term is just kind of idiotic. It, it's, you know, protest can lead to change. It can also just simply have a cathartic effect for people. And also it's necessary, I think, because people believe things and, and want to demonstrate those beliefs by going onto the streets to do that. And, um, you know, the example I think in the UK that we always come back to of, oh, protest doesn't change anything, is the anti-war march before the Iraq war. But the thing to say about that is, that protest does have an effect because, you know, uh, 13 years later, we're still talking about it. It's, it, it, it was a cultural moment. It is, it's, it's a stick to beat those people who went to war without the votes, without the UN authorization. Uh, it's a stick to beat them with. So in that respect, you know, it's worth protesting. If you believe in something, it's worth protesting getting out on the streets because it shows that people actually give a shit about a particular situation or a, or a particular individual's policies. Surely the best example of protest working in the UK is the poll tax at the end of the 80s, early 90s. But, but mate, that's that, not protest, that's riots, you know. No, but, but, but they were, there were mass protests of which actually the riots were a very small part. People yeah, but were I mean, protesting in just about every major UK it's city. Very, it's just that's a, a very different kind of protest, though. It's like you, you're comparing so? grapefruits and oranges here because because this is that's a that's a protest about a very specific issue, right? A domestic which people felt very exercised. About. I love just it when like you do this. I love it when you do this about halfway through a sentence and you. Uh, there's no point. Just, yeah, fine. Whatever. Yeah, no. fine. Nick, <laughs> Nick, Nick, go. Finish what you were saying. No, because I get halfway through and forget what I was going to say. The, the point with the with the Trump thing is, it is this is a, this protest is more symbolic. The poll tax protests are about a specific issue. With Trump, it's a whole load of different issues. It's like the women's marches. They... they, they they were coalescing around the, the question of like, you know, or, or the, the catalyst of Trump. But these protests are not focused on a specific issue. Therefore, their aim is not to get rid of Donald Trump. Their aim is merely to illustrate uh, dissent and and um, dissatisfaction with not just Trump, but a kind of um, populist uh, attempt at reshaping the world order or whatever. Just so- just so we're clear, mate, I, I completely agree with your analysis. And I believe that uh, protests, if nothing else, uh, 
are cathartic and and that in and of itself is a very good thing you know it gens up uh, political opposition and people don't feel so inert so i think they're fundamentally a good thing and i agree with you so don't think that just because i was i was uh interrupting that it's because i was trying to shout you down or actually disagree now doug uh you americans are our closest allies and we've had one or two disagreements along the way but the special relationship is probably much more special to us than it is to you so isn't it right that the baby man is over here at the moment there's nothing right about anything that that man does so why should this be different oh you're gonna have to expand on that answer doug we haven't we haven't heard for you in so many months that we need to hear your voice sir well there's there's a whole lot to say well, but the 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 thing the thing is the protests in in the uk against trump are not going to accomplish much, but I'm the last person to tell people to sh- to, to shut up. I actually think that uh, as, as, as no, both no, of you but it's, said, but it's not a case. But it's not a case of um, telling people to shut up because Mick, Mick and I are in complete and utter agreement, and I think you are too. That people have the right to protest, and in a way, this podcast is is a very small but uh, hopefully notable addition to the protest because none of us like the man. However, I'm just saying, it's is it right and proper that the president of the United States, our closest ally on planet Earth, um, is afforded a visit on our hallowed? Well, shores? that's that's actually a really good question, and and it, it it raises two issues that have been very important to many of us on this side of the pond. Uh, one is, you know, how should other heads of state uh, and other governments treat our president when he behaves the way he does? And uh, my personal belief, based on everything I've seen, is that um, if the gentleman is not going to act like a gentleman, he should not be received like one. Uh, but that puts our allies, like the That's UK, a line, in a Doug. very difficult position because uh, the man is temperamental. And if he's not given everything he asks for, he will have a temper tantrum and impose tariffs. Uh, you know, it's kind of not not the model of good behavior. Uh, personally, I think the better option would be for the other heads of state, including Theresa May, to uh, be respectful and model good behavior, but don't necessarily roll out the red carpet. I, I think... Uh, the fact that he's going to be steered clear of the protests is offensive because one of the great traditions that the United States and the UK share is our love of the freedom to protest. And that is part of our DNA or should be. And for a president to be but, shielded but, but, from that. But your offensive. president doesn't understand That's that, right. though, does he? He sees any protest as a personal um, and, and, but this is an opportunity for even the Queen to help educate him, or at least try. And, and the, the other side of the mm. coin, of course, is that uh, you know historically, uh, state visits to the United States have been high honors reserved for allies and others who've basically earned it. And our current president, you know, I think his first uh, head of state visit was the dictator of the Philippines. Uh, you know, he's invited Vladimir Putin to the White House. It's like, you know, these are 
These are things that make those of us that have covered Washington, D.C. as journalists, or really anybody who's watched these things play out over the years, it makes our head spin. It's not the right way to be doing international relations. So the president of the Philippines, he was elected and he's an odious man with horrible views. But can we call him a dictator? Mm, He murders people. He doesn't seem to follow the rule of law. I kind of think that counts. All right. You convinced me. He's a dictator. he's He's an authoritarian. And and in fact, in fact, Duarte even said it himself. He said, "If I don't act like a dictator, then the Philippines won't progress." So, you know, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and calls itself a duck, it's probably a duck. I agree. Now, Trump has weighed in on Brexit this week, Mick, saying that the UK is heading on a different route to the one that the British people expected. So Trump sounds like a hard Brexiteer. And the UK could end up with a closer relationship with the EU than has been predicted. Um, do you reckon he's right, Mick? After the, the kerfuffle that we've had this week, this weekend, with the, those resignations um, in the British government, is the president of the US right? We're heading for a nice, soft, cuddly Brexit. Um. I don't really turn to Donald Trump for my, my nuanced analysis on anything. Um, mm-hmm. uh, no, not well. I don't know. It's just it's a shit show. If you, that, that's it, uh, we're we're heading for another general election this year, probably. Um, I still I don't know. I don't know how Brexit is 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 achievable, frankly, uh, which could be wishful thinking. I the whole the whole thing just boils my piss. Well, and in, in fact, what we're seeing with Brexit, I think, is what we will be seeing in the United States if things keep going down the same path. So the challenges with Brexit, the reality that is facing the UK, is foreshadowing what we should be expecting in the United States. So when Trump, Doug, described the UK as a country in turmoil because of Brexit, you know, was was he spot on the money? Is it some kind of orange lie, or dare I say, it, do orange lies even matter? Was this the truth? From from our perspective, it certainly does appear to be some degree of turmoil, but I think it is in reality a bit more orderly than Mister Mister Trump believes, and and that's that's of course troubling. He's got a very simplistic view of everything. He sees everything transactionally. He sees things as one-off negotiations where a you know it's like flipping a light switch. It's either on or off. There's no in-between. And that doesn't work with international relations or trade or finance because you have shared interests. And the whole point of negotiation is to find the middle ground. The hard Brexiteers wanted a complete Hey, but but those countries that want the middle ground, aren't they the countries that systematically have pulled one over American eyes for the last 70 years since the Bretton Woods Agreement? Trump doesn't want that. I think the whole premise that There's, anybody's pulled wool's over, wool over our eyes is, is, is faulty because look at how our economy has grown since Bretton Woods. Look at how other economies have grown since then. Look at all of the advances in technology, medicine. 
science. Yeah, but that's because those those sneaky Germans haven't been paying um, enough money uh, to defend themselves. Wrong. So, but that's false. German Germany pays two point two percent of their GDP toward defense, and you know we fought the war and won. So it's been this partnership of rebuilding Germany that has helped the global economy succeed. And that's something that seems to be invisible to our current administration. Mick, tell you one thing which I've really been surprised by. There's a Guardian ICM poll just released just yesterday. It showed that 53% of respondents, only 53% of respondents, disagree with the idea that Trump was doing a good job. I seriously thought he was more disliked than than that. Um, Are you surprised by those figures too? I, um, I consider all political polling in the UK to be utterly broken um, due to their failure to predict the last two elections or the Brexit vote. So uh, I don't think it's. I don't think that's a very. I, I don't think it's a very clean assessment of how disliked he is, um, and and the polling. Um, Numbers, you know, the numbers used for that, the sample size for that is not significant, really. Um, I think he's, I think people think he's a joke. I think people think he's a joke. I don't think, I don't think even, even our wacko conservatives on this side of the pond um, think he's good. Uh, you know, even the worst of our um, rapacious, uh, thieving, lying capitalist scum think he's broken. <laughs> uh, but, um, no, I don't know. I I, I think that I think a a, a a better poll will probably have a, a much higher percentage than that. I think as well, we we are just uh, distracted by we're distracted by Brexit and we're distracted by the World Cup. And I don't know; it's a great time to be talking about Trump. I think we've. Or it's almost like whenever we discuss this, what's going to go on this show, you're always saying, "Oh, is there any way we can not talk about Trump or Brexit?" Because there's fatigue with it as well. Mm. True that, brother. Um, just to end up with this, I'm going to have the last words going to go over to you, Doug. Now, earlier on this week, Trump praised our former Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson. Now, he resigned on Monday. Now, here's a question from all good Brits. Can Trump please take Boris Johnson with him when he leaves <laughs> on Air Force One? <laughs> I'm sure he would like to. I mean, we've already seen. Don't laugh. Um, it's a serious question. We have certainly seen that Trump is more willing to take advice on how to do his job from foreign people like Boris, uh, well, like like Vladimir Putin. You know, Trump apparently gets advice on media relations and governance from Vladimir Putin. So why not Boris Johnson? Why not name him to a U.S. post? I don't see what would stop him. Even if our Constitution forbids it, we've got a Republican Congress that is unwilling to lift a finger to protect the Constitution. So why not? On that note, let's move to something which has got little to do with Brexit or even Donald Trump. It's international sport. Sounds good score. More goals for his country than Mario Mandzukic is there. And they will return home as national treasures. I thought we could do it, but 
one of those insane times, but I was like that. We've lost in the semi-final, but in terms of the journey from kind of England having no hope, Evans having some hope, and then going on to be, actually believe that we could do something in the World Cup, you've, you've got to give Gareth, all the boys, everyone, and help to get behind the team like we have done. It's got to be a win for everybody. It was a good game, nice, good game. England was in control the first half. I thought England was definitely going to win, but as it happened, Croatia took over the second half. Pretty gutted, actually. First half, brilliant. Second half, disappointing. The US mainly plays sport that the rest of the world finds baffling. Or just plain odd. Do you think that the US that the US in its sporting isolation means that you lot, you Yanks, miss out on moments of national joy or despair, like a World Cup victory or defeat? Well, we've certainly lost our sense of sport, and that's a sad thing. Um, I grew up being I, I grew up as an avid baseball fan, and uh, around two thousand four. Uh, was completely repulsed by how business had overtaken everything. So there was no loyalty to geography. There was no loyalty to the fans. It was just a question of who was going to get rich. And it sure wasn't those of us that were paying for the tickets to watch the games. And that's a really sad thing. Uh, As a result, we don't have a national uh, passion that unifies us. We have national passions that divide us. Is, is that really true, Doug? Just for what it's worth, right? Um, FIFA is an incredibly corrupt organisation and they are the governing body behind world football, okay? And they're corrupt, venal, and a thoroughly bad lot. Other than that, they're great people. And But still, you can have an occasion like the World Cup, which every country play on planet earth plays football to a varying or lesser degree and you can still have those sponsor logos so there's big business behind fifa and, and the world cup but still it feels it feels like you can be jingoistic in this one field of human kind of interaction without it being nasty and I just think that you guys just kind of miss out we do. on that. There's no question about that. But but hang on, though. The thing about that is, though, look at the size of the US, right? If you if you look at, at basketball or American football or baseball, like the we make, we make this like always make this annoying crack about the World Series is not the world because it's only America, right? And occasionally Canadians, I guess. But um. But the point is, because of the size of America, a Texan, you know, a Texan's a Texan, right? So they do get to experience that um, quite regularly, um, both in the, you know, run up like state championships, like, uh, you know, college, college basketball, the NFL, like they, they have these because there's so many people and you've got so many teams and there's so much money in it. That it is that these defeats and 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 you know disappointments and whatever they they are almost on the size of a national thing. When you look at the size of you know California or whatever, you know it's like there are millions of people watching those games. But there are very few often instances you know. where you have large numbers of people all together rooting the same way. It it happens a little bit, 
Um, you know, yeah, you've got like I guess March Madness and 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 the and the Super Bowl. Well, yes and no. So March Madness definitely interrupts pretty much everything. So that's the uh, the, the college basketball tournament. Um, you know, a lot of businesses ought to just shut down for those couple of weeks every spring because people watch the games and some of them are very, very good, but you don't have unification around cheering on, uh, the collective America teams you, or, or an American team. You've got Mm. people picking sides and wanting their team to win and the other teams to lose. And that's a big difference. And on Mm. the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I, I think the NFL has has done a good job of pushing a lot of people away uh, because they've probably realized they'll make more money if they just appeal to the same 30, 40 percent, whatever that they reach now, much like Trump does. And folks like me have zero interest in football. I used to occasionally watch it, but now I see the Super Bowl day as the best day to go skiing because nobody's on the slopes. Hmm. I was really struck by there's, there's a couple of things to weigh into this that traveling the length and breadth of England in the last week. So I've been in Brighton, I've been in London, I've been in Birmingham, and you're seeing the flag of St. George. And after England uh, progressed from game to game, strangers in the street would literally walk up to you and yes they've stumbled out of a bar and just start singing England's coming home and it does feel however however fleeting um like a different place and like we were all together and I think though people are jokingly saying that Gareth Southgate the England manager should become prime minister because the England football team have been a unifying force it's only actually half a joke and and it's that which I always think is really missing from American sport and I was really struck by watching an ESPN documentary some months ago talking about the miracle on ice which is um, the Winter Olympics in 1980 where the US uh, defeated the four-time defending medalist the Soviet Union and it was seen as you know good against evil capitalism versus communism it was uh, good old plucky yanks because they were amateur hockey players against these um, seasoned professionals but the Americans won. And the very fact that ESPN pulled that out the drawer kind of showed me that there was precious little else which kind of can collectively bring America together sportingly, uh, sport, sport-wise, um, which kind of transcends, let's say, uh, the Golden State Warriors being the best team um, well, in California. He, well, here's a, but here's on, another here's another thing, right? The thing, the, mm-hmm. one of the things that is I think is interesting is that was to, was a couple of things. One, the notion that the World Cup has brought Britain together as a, a, a massively, right? I think is kind of distorted. It's a good media story, and people who care feel that because we've been engaged in seeing us not do well over the years. So I think that's a bit deceptive as, as, a, as a sort of big cultural moment, because there are a lot of people who just don't care either. Um, but the one thing I think, another thing I think is interesting, though, is when you look at, at the USA with the Olympics, Americans have an expectation. Americans basically seem to do one of two things. Either they don't bother at all with the sport that the world does, right? So soccer, football, um, Americans don't really care about, right? So if the if Team USA does badly at that, uh, people who care about soccer care and the rest of the nation couldn't really give a toss. 
Or with something like the Olympics, generally the Americans expect to do incredibly well because they always do. It's the US and China who dominate the Olympics. So in that respect, they don't have what we have. The UK, the UK specifically England, tend to have this feeling of if we do well, it's a bit of a surprise because we feel like we're the plucky underdogs. The US are either don't turn up or are the dominant force. Mm. I, I, listen, I think you, you've kind of put, you know, put your finger on it there that America... Si- Americans fundamentally support winners in a way that we culturally like a plucky underdog and have cast ourselves cast ourselves in that role. That's why so Americans can't we, stand soccer generally. They don't like football because it's low scoring. But 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 you speak to the average American sport fan, and when you talk about soccer, as they term it. They will talk about, actually, I'm just making a point for you, because actually they do talk about the women's uh, American football team winning the 1999 Women's World Cup. And that was important, uh, not only because they won and they beat China and she waved her top over her head and there's all those pictures in the newspaper, uh, but also it did kind of herald um the the not quite the start of the MLS. I think the MLS had started just before, but the fact that you know football is let's say the fifth uh, sport in America. So yeah, football has has made some inroads in American kind of consciousness. But it seems to me though, Doug, that fundamentally you guys like it like your individuals when it comes to sport. And growing up for me, it was kind of Chris Evert at Wimbledon was always like the the, the blonde blonde haired blue eyed uh, American taking on the world or it was McEnroe and Jimmy Connors versus kind of kind of everybody else but but that doesn't it's but there is something about watching a team all in the same jerseys so representing a country playing another discuss Americans are very individualistic and jingoistic. And I think where you see our team sports succeed commercially, the basketball teams, the football teams, the baseball teams, um, there's much more identity with an individual than the team. And that's been what's changed in the last 30 or so years. And it's, it's disappointing. I mean, I go and I watch, you know, I remember going to see the U S open and watching, uh, you know, the Williams sisters. And it's like, my God, those are such amazing athletes, beautiful to watch their, their, the play and, and the, and the way they interact with their opponents is a thing of beauty. Um, you can get that when you watch a basketball game, but you don't get it when you, just follow the scores. When you're following the scores, it's how many baskets did LeBron get? And that changes everything. That's a very good point. Uh, Mick, LeBron James going to the LA Lakers. Good thing, bad thing? Um, I guess it's like, to me, it's like, um, it's, it's like two massive corporations trading oil futures. It's sort of a kind of an irrelevance, isn't it? And on that seismic point, uh, let's go on to our takeaways of the week. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Things That Made England. I'm Roy Phil Brown and with me I have... David Crowther of the History of England. It was the best of time. It was the worst. She was the people's princess. To fight on the beaches. Oh, hey, man. These are the things that made England. To fight on the landing ground. These are the things that made I England. I have a body, but of a weak and evil woman. These are the things that made England. And a king of England, too. These are the things that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England! And St. George! These are the things that made England. It gives wind in Churchill sails to say we can continue to fight on. Well, there cannot be many more famous events in English history than 1066. It hurts, (laughs) even now. Because 1066 is important. Yeah. But there's aspects of modern British culture which I think get overlooked. So I'm proposing that this week we do scar. For me, the English flag has in the past certainly become associated with factionalism, and, well, hideous racist and far-right views, and it's turned into a thing of disunity and almost xenophobia. The idea of this show is to decide on what things that make England... As she is, the country that, despite it all, we feel lucky to be part of. Every week, one of us, that is David and I, will pitch an idea to the other to be designated as one of the things that makes England distinctive. Go and join our shiny new Facebook site where once a month we will post a poll where, should you so desire, you can make your own very suggestions for applications to the I Made England Award. So, without more ado, let's do it. It's the end of the show. It's a time when uh, we all just like crack open either um, a lager or probably an IPA. 
dog. He seems to me like an IPA type of man. I'm definitely a lager man, or maybe a little bit more cultured, and you've got a fine glass of red with you. But then again, you're drinking a big glass of red, and it's what, 10 o'clock in the morning? Um, yes, Doug, you, you might have issues. But anyway, I'm wittering. But it's the time of the show where definitely we talk about our takeaways, things that have been on our mind or things that have caught our attention in the last seven days. Being as, being as the fact, Doug, we haven't had you on for about three months. Why don't you go first, sir? There's been a lot of news besides the uh, craziness on the world stage. And I think something which we need to keep focused on is some of the positive stuff um, because we need to keep that going. Uh, scientific and medical research keeps moving forward. We learn better ways to take care of people. We're able to come together and help the SEALs, uh, the Navy SEALs in Thailand rescue the soccer team that was trapped underground. That is an enormous victory for the goodness of people and what's possible and how we can use technologies that in some cases were developed for defense purposes, but use it for a really good, honorable humanitarian task. We need more of that. And we need to really recognize all of the elements that went into the technology and knowledge that was used to rescue those boys, because we need to do more of that research, not less. Mm. Uh, well said, well said. Uh, Mr. Wright, over in Norwich, how about you, sir? Um, my takeaway is sort of um, semi-connected to what Doug just said. I, it was, I mean, it was fantastic to see the, the, the football team get um, rescued and rescued so effectively and to see both the families uh, who live in that village and also just international efforts involved. I mean, that whole village were doing stuff like washing the clothes, making sure food was around, you know, that was a really good thing. But my actual takeaway is Elon Musk and Elon Musk deciding he was going to create some kind of um, submarine to help uh, get the kids out of there. And it, it was a great example, as so often happens, of the American technocracy having this notion of like coming up with a very elaborate way to solve a situation when in fact what you know what ended up being done was about experts doing some t tricky but relatively sort of straightforward things to get those kids out of there meanwhile Elon's there quickly making a submarine and he ended up sort of at one point questioning the expertise of these people. And I think we've got to a point where there are these people within the world of technology, particularly the Elon Musk types, who kind of think that they can solve everything and always move towards the most high-tech solution for doing it. And it's an extreme example when he does it with a submarine. But look at what's happening with all the a lot of this app economy stuff is high tech or or um, over engineered solutions to problems we either didn't have or could solve more simply if we work together as human beings. Mm. I, I quite like that, and I think you're you're absolutely right. And you do get a real sense from the tech community that any problem that they encounter, there is no other precedent for it. And that they only, uh, they alone have the power to solve it. There's no need for anybody else uh, to look at it, and that technology per se is not 
in and of itself is the answer to every problem. So I couldn't agree with you more. Um, my, my takeaway, uh, I'm going to somewhat butcher, and I butcher most things when, when I speak on this show, but it went. it's going to go something like this. Um, I saw my son graduate from high school, uh, I think two weeks ago to, to the day. And incredibly proud moment. I'm in a hall with, I don't know how many students graduated. Let's say there's about 250. So imagine there's like 500 parents there and then the 250 kids. So it's sweltering, hot room. And the guy who took the, uh, the ceremony started it something like this. And here, here, here is the butchering. Um, we at the Halton School District um, give thanks and recognise that that the there were indigenous people on this land before uh before the school was even uh, erected they are the metis the iroquois and i forget the name of the third tribe we give thanks to those native and indigenous people um that um for this land of which we could build this school then uh, and then he said about another three lines of which one of them was all people um, who are of European or other descent other than native Canadian are immigrants on this land and should never forget that. And then he started the ceremony. I looked at my, my son's mother and went, what the hell have I just heard there? And she went, dude, every school assembly, every official document um, from this school board starts thus. And she says, when you've heard it 10 times, it goes over your head. But I says, but when you hear it for the first time, it's pretty powerful. Now, does that mean that the rights and the um, the rights of the First Peoples, the First Nations of Canada, are being completely and utterly respected? Absolutely not. But I did say Canada is a very different place from the United States, and and it was for me a Brit just wandering in. It was an incredibly powerful way to, to start that whole graduating ceremony. But then just, just to wrap it up, and this will make you feel very happy, Mick. Um, the last thing on the programme, some two and a half hours late when everyone was literally wilting because it was so hot in that room, was the school choir singing The Queen. And I thought, The Queen? And it was a British national anthem because, of course, Canada is a monarchy. And they sang our national anthem, you know, God Save the Queen. And I just juxtapose those two elements, that recognition that the land of which we were all sat on had been stolen from dispossessed people. And then, but we are in Canada, and they sang the British National Anthem right at the end. But of course, they couldn't call it thus, they called it the Queen. And um, it was a beautiful ceremony and just a very powerful uh, start. I love the first bit, but, you know, it's a shame they had to sing the worst national <laughs> anthem in the whole world, officially the worst national anthem. You know what, though? After watching the World Cup, the Uruguayan one, that uh, don't be disrespectful of Uruguay, a country which I should have visited about 10 years ago when my friend got married there. But, like, that... Their national, the tune of their national anthem sounds kind of like a joke. It is some joke Italian operetta from like the 19th century. So still not as bad as God Save the Queen. Ours is a dirge, and the words are kind of um, you know for another age. But the Marseillaise, you know that that's a jaunty tune. I, I do do love a little bit of that. Doug, um, 
Tell, tell, you can't vote for your own, but give us your, your favourite national anthem. Oh, God, that's actually a difficult one. I, I would probably have to go with French. Just say the Jamaican. No, you can't have the French <laughs> I actually, one. Just... I, I don't know the Jamaican one. Uh, you know what? It, I'm not going to sing on, on this podcast. Oh, please I've, do. I've, I've got a terrible voice. But um, I'll tell you what the Jamaican national anthem should be. It should be uh, that Bob Marley one. Um, Old Pirates, they say, Rob, they say, Life on the Merchant Ships. Redemption song. Redemption song song should be the Jamaican national anthem. And if I was a politician of my worth in Jamaica, I'd petition for that. Because it's a lovely tune. And actually, the intro is actually really beautiful. Yeah, and Jerusalem should be ours. Jerusalem's really stirring. But, you know, but when you... The words of it are just totally preposterous. I love the tune, and you can bellow, bellow out. Jerusalem. That's the point. You can bellow oh. out, and it's it's it sounds like all national anthems are kind of ridiculous. Also, Blake's poem is some there's some amazing stuff in that. You've got dark satanic mills in there. Come on, you know. Mm, no, you, you, maybe you're convinced. Nor me. shall my sword me. sleep in my hand. Get in. <laughs> and the other thing is about God Save the Queen is that up until the First World War, it was the national anthem of so many countries because it was because it was the tune of which you you just made up your your national lyrics to. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like a, it's a crap revolution. remix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, but it's still the national anthem of which two countries actually have. So we, it's the same tune that Liechtenstein actually has for theirs because they didn't go through that revolutionary period or, you know, to be defeated in war, etc., etc. Anyway, on that minor historical note, let's wrap up proceedings. Uh, Doug, how can people find you on the social serum? What have you been up to? On Twitter, I'm SS Doug, as in San Francisco Doug. Um, and uh, on, uh, on Facebook, Doug Levy News, D-O-U-G-L-E-V-Y-N-E-W-S. And I am working on an article about the politics of division, which I'm excited Ooh. about. I hope that'll be ready sometime in about a week. Good, good, good. How about you, Mr. Wright? Uh, I am Broken Bottle Boy on Twitter. I am working on uh, getting more commissions and work for the agency I run. So uh, if you like what I do on this podcast... Um, what I do in my actual work is a lot less angry and much better so you know <laughs> and of course you can find me on Twitter I'm simply at Royfield um, and I'm still chugging away with my commission from the Commonwealth so thank you nice Commonwealth of ex-British uh, subjugated nations for giving me work and saying that you want me to produce podcasts for you because that's most awesome of you um, you can find us on the socials on Twitter specifically where we are at Mid-Atlantic Show um, on Facebook I still haven't quite got round to sorting out the group though I've added uh, all the pundits to it um, so uh, maybe go onto Facebook in about a week's time and type in Mid-Atlantic Show and then join the group uh, don't forget, folks, that um, we are fundamentally representing the view of the world, which is inclusive, cuddly, but we do call out people on their ship when they do stupid, hateful, horrible things. See you all again in approximately two weeks' time for another Mid-Atlantic show. Thank you. Toodaloo. Bye-bye. Bye.
to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pits But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 